It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I just heard that it's six below zero in New Hampshire and the wind chill is something like 20 below. I guess this is another way New Hampshire is trying to compete with Iowa. So this is about the dumbest move I've heard of in a long time. So after the caucuses, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas, respected figure in the Democratic Party, dropped out. Never got anywhere. Don't quite know why he was running or why he even stayed in as long as he did. So the DN. C, put out a statement saying this. This news comes as a shock to those of us who could have sworn he had already dropped out. Why smack the guy when he's just dropped out of the race? Like, what is the point of piling on? So now, President Biden is having his chief of staff, Jeff Zients, call Hutchinson to apologize. Completely unnecessary, you know, it's like roughing the passer in football. Why you got to rough this guy up? Um, Speaking of rough stuff, a lot of chatter today about when Donald Trump came um, out of the courtroom in Manhattan yesterday, and we'll talk more about that just ahead. It looked like there were three different spots on one hand that looked like blood. Maybe it's not blood. Maybe it's a magic marker. Uh, lead screaming banner on drugs. Trump has blood on his hand. Some chatter that when he slammed his... Let me do the sound effect here. When he slammed his hand down on the table in the courtroom to express, oh, I don't know, his displeasure at something the judge had done. This is in the E. Jean Carroll trial, which, again, we'll catch up with in a minute. Maybe he caused some sores and they were bleeding. I don't know. I don't really care. I think it's silly speculation, but it's out there. Now, news from across the pond. Kate, or more formally referred to in the Washington Post as Catherine Princess of Wales, wife of the future British king, uh, underwent successful abdominal surgery at a private London hospital. And Buckingham uh, Palace also announcing that King Charles, scheduled uh, for a procedure next week for an enlarged prostate, Now, if you know how tight-lipped the British royal family is about this stuff, to have two announcements in one day is kind of amazing. Um, Kate, who has posed for photo ops looking flawless hours after giving birth, that is true, will remain hospitalized for up to two weeks. And I think she'd already been hospitalized for a little while, before this was announced, and then obviously they wanted to kind of tamp it down by coupling it with the uh, announcement about Charles. He will just have a short period of recuperation. 
Now, the Princess of Wales appreciates the interest this statement will generate. She hopes the public will understand her desire to maintain as much normality for her children as possible and her wish that her personal medical information remain private. Sounding a little Lloyd Austin-ish, isn't it? Anyway, we wish her well. We wish the king well. Doesn't sound like the king's procedure is all that serious, but obviously has to be treated. Okay, Laura Loomer is this Trump ally who uh, says a lot of extreme things. That would be putting it diplomatically. Trump was going to hire her for his campaign, and there was kind of a mini uproar, and he was talked out of it. So she's going after the founder of OutKick, Clay Travis, who's been a regular guest on my show, usually brings a conservative point of view. He's also the co-host of a syndicated radio show that was in Rush Limbaugh's time slot. So Loomer says, Clay Travis should never be taken seriously. Clay has only voted for Republican once in the last six elections and supports Ron DeSantis. And what Clay says is, though he tweeted this a few years ago, a closet liberal in what way? I voted for Gore, Kerry, Obama, Obama, and Gary Johnson in past five elections. I say this regularly in public. Vote for whoever he wants. What we care about is his point of view. And obviously this was a few years ago, so it doesn't mention 2020. Gavin Newsom, picking this up from Politico. This is an interesting league. Gavin Newsom saved California Democrats from themselves by killing this proposal, which has been getting a fair amount of airtime, to ban youth tackle football. Now, I have to jump in and say that would only be for students under 12. I understand the argument. You know, you can get a concussion. You can seriously injure your brain or body. Um, but on the other hand, why... Shouldn't be up to parents. It's not like everybody has to participate. Only those kids who want to play tackle football with the uh, permission of their parents do play tackle football. And Governor Newsom said, I'm deeply concerned about the health and safety of our young athletes, but an outright ban is not the answer. My administration will work with the legislature, uh, strengthen safety in youth football, while ensuring parents have the freedom to decide which sports are most appropriate for their children. Now, that's a smart political move. Also, he didn't want to sign this bill because if he runs for president, let's say 2028, he doesn't want to be tagged with, you know, the guy who took away parental choice and your kids couldn't play football. Okay, story number one. Let's go back to this E. Jean Carroll trial, which was all over the, the tube yesterday. Now, if you follow this at all, you know that she is a writer who previously sued the former president for defamation and a sexual assault that he vehemently denies. 
that is said to have taken place, and she didn't reveal this till many years later, in the 1990s in a in the dressing room of a um, Manhattan department store. The reason there's a second trial is that she sued him again. Remember, she got $5 million awarded. So she's already, Trump has already been found liable in this case. But then he kept going at her, including yesterday. And uh, really got into it with the judge. Judge Lewis Kaplan. Trump was sort of muttering things out loud, but just loud enough for the jury to hear. He said witch hunt. He said con job. So Judge Kaplan admonished him and then said, Trump has a right to be present here. That right can be forfeited. And it can be forfeited if he is disruptive, which is what has been reported to me. And if he disregards court orders, Mr. Trump, I hope I don't have to consider excluding you from the trial. Trump says, I would love it. Judge Kaplan replied, I know you would. I understand you're probably very eager for me to do that because you just can't control yourself. And then Trump talked to reporters outside the courthouse. Remember, this is only for damages because he keeps attacking her. And he attacked her again. And, you know, you've heard me say this. Never met her. This didn't happen. She's making it up, questioning whether she's mentally ill. Not my type. I wouldn't have done it. Now, last night on Truth Social, all caps, this is about the immunity question, which basically is the ball game once it makes it to the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court agrees that every president should have full immunity, or, you know, it depends on how narrowly the justices tailor it, then that is the end of Jack Smith's January 6th case. I mean, Trump could still be charged, I guess, on classified documents, but if immunity is everything. So, let me get my all-caps voice warmed up here. <clears throat> All right. A president of the United States must have full immunity, without which it would be impossible for him, her, to properly function. Any mistake, even if well-intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Even events that, he puts this in quotes, cross the line must fall into total immunity or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. There must be certainty. Example, you can't stop police from doing the job of strong and effective crime prevention because you want to get guard against the occasional rogue cop or bad apple. Sometimes you have to live, you just have to live with great but slightly imperfect. All presidents must have complete and total presidential immunity or the authority and decisiveness of president will be stripped and gone forever. And then he finishes, God bless the Supreme Court, which really means God bless the Supreme Court if they rule my way. Now, I find the rogue cop example kind of strange because while we certainly don't dismantle police departments to guard against the occasional bad cop, in, in many cities and towns in, across the country, rogue cops have been prosecuted 
and sometimes jailed. And not just in the famous cases, you know, unleashed uh, by the murder of George Floyd. Police corruption has never fully gone away and probably never will. But it's just so interesting that Donald Trump, first president ever to be indicted four times, and I know it's done nothing but help him politically. All of his MAGA fans are like, this is the deep state, that Joe Biden told him to do this, et cetera, et cetera. But even events that cross the line, so Trump is saying, even if I did something that was wrong or somewhat wrong, or slightly wrong, I have to have total immunity because I was doing my job. All right, number two. Let's dive into the New Hampshire primary and the state of the race. Nikki Haley last night at a town hall, Rochester, New Hampshire, says, uh, I understand Trump threw a uh, temper tantrum about me. But she said, I'm only going to do policy. I'm not going to talk about him personally. Well, that's her judgment. It's the same judgment that Ron DeSantis has made, although he has dropped that in recent weeks. That if you go too hard after the former president, you alienate MAGA supporters who you might otherwise be able to win over. But here's the problem, in my view. Right now, although she has done some interviews, particularly on Fox, by the way, I, I, uh, yesterday, I believe it was, I asked her campaign again if she would come on Media Buzz. I've asked about five times. You know, it's obviously her choice, despite our big ratings, whether to come on or not. But I've interviewed Ron DeSantis three times, maybe a fourth one. Uh, I've interviewed Chris Christie twice. I've interviewed Mike Pence. But again, she gets to choose, and I'm, this is not about me or even Fox. Right now... Nikki Haley is doing one event a a day in New Hampshire. And at last report, she is not taking questions. She goes, she gives the stump speech, she shakes some hands, she poses for pictures, and maybe drops into a restaurant, and that's it. Well, you don't win New Hampshire by doing one event a day. You do town halls from morning until evening. I mean... As I was saying, I've covered a lot of these primaries, particularly in 2000, when John McCain upset George W. Bush in New Hampshire, but of course went on to lose the nomination that year, only to gain it eight years later. And in the beginning, I mean, McCain was obviously very well known as not only a senator, but as a uh, former POW in Vietnam. And he used to talk about this. He, he, would, he had to give away free ice cream to get people to show up. Then he had the Straight Talk Express, and he talked to reporters all the time, and he kind of got hot, or at least was getting a lot of media attention. And more people started showing up at his town halls, and he didn't have to give the ice cream away anymore. Well, I'm not suggesting ice cream for Nikki Haley, but look, there's just a few days to go until next Monday's primary. She needs to shake things up. She needs to make some news. She can't just keep repeating the same things. The latest poll 
after those ones that had her tied or down by four points or down by seven points, has her down, I think, by 10. Oh, here it is. Boston University, excuse me, Boston Globe, Suffolk University, NBC, the local station. Trump, 50, likely Republican primary voters. Haley, 34. DeSantis, only 5%. He's basically showing the flag in New Hampshire and then going to South Carolina, Nikki's home state. And probably a better state for him, although, you know, again, Donald Trump has a 30-point lead in South Carolina, but it's a much more conservative state, obviously. So if I can just do the math here, if this Boston Globe poll is close to accurate, she's trailing by 16 points. When you're trailing by 16 points in a football game, you got to throw the ball. You can't just run a ground game for two or three yards at a time. So it's not just me saying this. Here's the Washington Post saying, oh, well, she stepped up her criticism a little bit uh, against Trump and Joe Biden. But holding back on the full offensive, many Trump critics wish she would launch. Town halls, TV ads, media interviews, Haley has pointed to Trump's age, he's 77, as an attack line. The majority of Americans think that having two 80-year-olds for president is not what they want. So, for her, those are sharper remarks. You know, he's old, we have to move on, new generation of leadership. Some Trump critics are frustrated, as I said, and that she isn't barnstorming the state aggressively. One public event a day has been scheduled. Now, she did um, fly home to South Carolina. That was late Tuesday night to see her dad, who was hospitalized. So, obviously, these people are human beings, and they have lives. And we sometimes forget that. Haley joins a long list of Republicans who, over the years, have struggled to find the right time and tone for attacking Trump in a party in which he has many loyal supporters, to put it mildly. Haley's campaign is betting on her performing well with the less ideological, more independent-minded voters in New Hampshire, especially those desperate for an alternative to Trump. Listen to this. Mike Dennehy, GOP strategist in New Hampshire, who helped John McCain win that state both in 2000 and 2008, said he doesn't understand Haley's strategy. He called her her attacks on Trump weak and her once-a-day schedule inadequate. And here's a quote. Man, oh man, it's frustrating. I just do not see her doing what it takes right now to pull independents out to vote for her. Hmm. He says he doesn't know how he's going to vote. Now, speaking of Ron DeSantis, New York Times says they, he is shaking up his campaign again with his super PAC carrying out layoffs. And as I said earlier, essentially bypassing New Hampshire to try to compete in South Carolina. But that, depending on how he does... I mean, if he basically is pulled out of the state, except for a token appearance or two, Nikki Haley has what she has wanted all along, a one-on-one battle 
against the president that she served as UN ambassador. As DeSantis' team licked its wounds, his super PAC never backed down, trimmed operations, including uh, in states like Nevada. DeSantis prepared moving a majority, began moving, I should say, a majority of his campaign staff to South Carolina. That primary is not until February 24th. So there's a solid month where there's no other contest on the Republican side. A DeSantis spokesman saying when Nikki Haley fails to win her home state, she'll be finished. And this will be a two-person race. So that's what they both want. And obviously right now they are splitting the anti-Trump vote. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Now, responding to DeSantis, Haley said, South Carolina is a great state. We hope they enjoy their vacation time here. I don't know if she's a Southerner or not. Another thing that uh, Donald Trump is doing is raising birthright citizenship questions about Nikki Haley. Now, I don't... You can come to this conclusion as quickly as I can. This is a man who claimed for many, many months that Barack Obama was not American citizen, that he had not actually been born in Hawaii, despite the former president, then candidate Obama, producing a birth certificate. And this, what Trump is doing now is not rooted in American law. She obviously is the daughter of immigrants from India. And because her parents were not citizens when she was born here in the U.S., Trump is saying she's not eligible. Well, I don't think anyone's taking that seriously. But look, uh, what he is doing now is using her given first name, which is Nimarada, which Trump misspelled as Nimrada. Now, but her given name is Nimarada Nikki Randhawa. That was her maiden name when she got married to a guy named Haley. She took his last name. Obviously pretty common, very common in America. And Nikki is also a Punjabi name. So it isn't like she, you know, sometimes people who have difficult to pronounce names you know, give themselves a nickname, and, and that's how they are known in the in the U.S., particularly if they're in politics. So I don't think that this Nimrata stuff goes anywhere. Nimrata, excuse me. Meanwhile, CNN will no longer host a Republican primary debate in New Hampshire. I told you yesterday that the ABC debate has been canceled because Nikki's not showing up. And now CNN, which was going to also... Uh, hold a debate in the coming days is not going to hold a debate, a debate with an empty chair in Ron DeSantis. And I think this actually is a smart move by Haley because all they would do is bloody each other and neither one would gain a thing.
Here's National Review saying, you know, Nikki Haley's strategy has worked pretty well until now. But she can say what she really thinks about Trump. If you can't explain to voters why you should be president over a potential multiple felon who spent the day after the Iowa caucuses in a court that had already found he sexually assaulted a woman, you simply don't belong in the race anymore. Pretty tough stuff from National Review. Says DeSantis' campaign is essentially over. That's what the pundits think. As voters continue to reject his Diet Trump persona, Other never-Trumpers have turned their ire on Haley, criticizing her for failing to attack Trump all along. It is true, Haley has made plenty of missteps during the campaign. But her oftentimes cringeworthy strategy has made her the last one standing. She had to wink to the anybody-but-Trumpers, but not hug the hand grenade of outright attacking him. And here's how you know that the mainstream media considers this race essentially to be over and that Donald Trump will be the nominee. Politico has a piece by Jonathan Martin on the Trump veep stakes. Now, you don't obsess on who Trump will pick as his running mate after one contest in Iowa. But what's happening is there is a, and I've picked up some hints of this, there is a... Um, an internecine battle. That's a real newspaper word. It's a, there's a fight within the campaign. Who Among people who think that Trump should consider Nikki Haley for his number two and those who are apoplectic about the idea. Um, here's Matt Gates, Ultra-conservative Republican congressman. Nikki Haley as VP would be an establishment neocon fantasy and a MAGA nightmare. On day one, she would convert the Naval Observatory, that's the converted observatory where the vice president lives, into an anti-Trump resistance headquarters, undermining him at every step. Well, because obviously, people who don't like Nikki Haley for, for whatever reason, think that if she did become the running mate and Trump won, he can't run again because he will have served two terms and she would be in a prime position although she'd still have to go out and win it, to run for president in four years. Four years after the next election. And then it goes on to say, well, here's some other people you might consider. If he wants to play it safe, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, Senator Tim Scott, Marsha Blackburn, Ben Carson, who briefly led the field when he ran for president, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, um, who delayed in endorsing Trump and may just decide it would be better to be governor in the state where her dad, Mike, was governor. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story three, Speaker Mike Johnson sticking it to President Biden, telling him in a phone call, before a meeting with congressional leaders at the White House, that he's not going to strike an immigration deal with Democrats that leads to the revival of military aid to Ukraine. That was always Biden's plan. 
Everybody gets what they want. Aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to Taiwan, and much more aggressive action at the border. Well, I'm going to tell the president what I'm telling all of you, Johnson said to reporters. Border, border, border. We have to secure our own border before we talk about doing anything else. But doesn't want to make it a package deal. Mitch McConnell, who does strongly support aid to Ukraine, I think it's time to go ahead with the supplemental. Oh, because I left out the fact that the government could shut down by the weekend unless they pass a short-term funding bill, which is happening again, kick the can down the road. Mike Johnson not doing any better at resolving the perpetual budget impasse than Kevin McCarthy. Now, House Republicans don't want the uh, Ukraine deal. They pushed through a measure yesterday calling condemning Biden's open border policies. Now, what the what they're negotiating about is a bipartisan group again this is in the Senate uh, has agreed to make it more difficult for migrants to claim asylum after crossing the border, expand detention and the power to expel illegal migrants. But, you know, it's trapped in congressional politics. Okay, number four, from the Hill. Supreme Court had a hearing on um, whether to cut back on the power of federal regulatory agencies, which have immense power here in Washington because a lot of things are so complicated and there isn't anywhere near the media scrutiny that uh, the White House or... Congress get. So the conservative justices put the Biden administration's lawyer on defense as she, the lawyer, tried to preserve something called the Chevron deference, which means that EPA, HUD, you go down the list. FTC, FCC have to, you know, go along with what have independent power to make rules, not to prosecute people, but they can issue large fines and so forth. The argument on the other side that seemed to be embraced by Clarence Thomas, Nouriel Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh is that the regulatory agencies always seem to do whatever the administration in power wants. The government always wins, says Gorsuch. So this is something that the average person may find too abstract or too abstruse to worry about. But if the conservative court were to, let's just say, limit or curtail the power of these regulatory agencies, it'd be a huge change in the way that your friendly federal government does business. And number five, from the Wall Street Journal. Piece about the new head of CNN, Mark Thompson. Previously was the top executive of the New York Times. Before that, he worked for the BBC. And they got an interview with the guy. The lead of the story, will people pay to watch CNN videos on their phones? So, Thompson's been there for just a couple months. And 
he's put out a memo yesterday saying he wants to combine all of CNN's news gathering operations into one unit that will serve TV, streaming, and digital platforms. Uh, I can't believe that hadn't already happened. I mean, there was a time, you know, 20 years ago when the Washington Post, or 15 years ago, when there was the newsroom division, and then across the river in Virginia was the dot-com division. And they had to cooperate, obviously, but it was two different staffs and everything. I mean, that time is long gone. So if Mark Thompson is first doing that at CNN, it's, it's smart, but it's way overdue. And he says, look, I don't think anyone's yet cracked the code on how, you know, putting, for example, video on phones translates to a great news experience. He thinks, though, that this could attract younger consumers. If CNN can figure out a way to do that and make sure it's high quality, a differentiated product, then he says people should be willing to pay for it. Look, they'll pay six bucks to see a football game on Peacock, an NFL playoff game for that matter. Now, there'd been speculation that uh, Thompson would do what he did at the New York Times, launching subscription products, like if you want to get more information from CNN on travel or health. But he says he's not doing that. I think we need to look at it honestly. I think you might want to start with news because that is the central proposition that the CNN brand brings to mind. You know, CNN is way down in the ratings. I mean, the overall trend in cable news is, but, you know, just taking the Iowa caucuses as an atypical example, Fox News coverage during those primetime hours doubled MSNBC but quadrupled CNN. So it's bread and butter, which is you get revenues from the fees paid by cable distributors. That's ultimately how networks make a chunk of their money. Obviously, there's also advertising. But they haven't done very well at streaming. You remember CNN Plus, it lived for about three weeks. And then there's CNN Max, and now it's just called Max. Um, Thompson says, having gotten to the top of one hill, I guess referring to his past, I've chosen to start at the bottom of another one. Oh, so here it is. Uh, CNN draws about half the primetime viewers of MSNBC, not just uh, when I was having a caucus. And a third, the primetime viewers of Fox News. And here, uh, Thompson takes a little jab. He says, there are some viewers out there who simply don't want to hear the other side. Don't want to hear it. And feel much more comfortable in an environment where typically they're hearing people whose opinions are very close to their own. He also talks about maybe doing something in the area of AI. That's on the edge, he says, of CNN's uh, comfort zone. And, just to end with a little bit of news here, he weighed in on the criticism of CNN, along with Fox, MSNBC, AP, CBS, calling the Iowa caucus for Donald Trump, you know, a half hour after people at these caucuses started voting. It's very simple, he said. They had enough vote information combined with the entrance poll numbers to make the call, which, of course, turned out to be right. But Ron DeSantis, in particular, was very unhappy with that early call and called it election interference, although anybody who wanted to vote was already inside the caucus place. It's not like a primary. 
So is there anything I've left out? Well, I think those are the major things I have to talk about today. Hopefully all of uh, burning interest with you. Or at least strong interest. Okay, even moderate interest I'll take. As long as you stay tuned. Hey, see you tomorrow, folks, with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.